Hello, and welcome to the 13th episode of Cycles Podcast. Uh, today we have uh, Derek Tremoro, uh, and Derek is a staff engineer at Cloudflare. He has over 17 years of experience uh, designing security frameworks uh, at scale. Uh, his main focus is on research and development within an infrastructure and cloud security, and he currently holds multiple patents. Uh, and I actually saw, well, I see is that your patents are behind you. Yeah. So like I started getting these, uh, you know, these, these plaques because I realized like, you know, my previous company didn't give you squat. You figure you like get like a nice little award. I think they give you like a hundred bucks and I'm like, great. So I've surrendered my IP to you and I get a hundred dollars. So like gifts for my wife to, you know, <laughs> say, Hey, we're, you know, we, you feel really accomplished. So, um, I got to figure out where to put the rest of them. So I figured I'd start. And... And I, and I saw you post those on on uh, LinkedIn yesterday, and it was it's really interesting because so uh, for everyone listening and watching this, obviously you're familiar with Cycle, uh, but what you might not know is that back well, uh, sorry, there's no way you know this. Uh, you know, uh, this is there's there's no way any of you know this. So so let me let me let me clue you in here. Back in 2015, when I started building Cycle, um, I had you know uh, for for many of you who might know this, I had already been working in infrastructure. Uh, I had worked at a company called Single Hop for a few years, um, where we were working with. Um, uh, QEMU, we were working with OpenStack and a number of other technologies, but that's where we started to see Docker and this whole container movement come. And we started diving into that with obviously what has now become Cycle. But in the early days of Cycle, while I understood the principles of a lot of these networking, networking you know, foundational kind of ideas and concepts and things, uh, I wasn't 100% sure how to implement them. So I was sitting there, this is again back in 2015, watching YouTube videos, uh, trying to figure out how like, you know, VXLAN and all these things ended up working. Long story short, it led me uh, to, to, to meeting Derek. Uh, and so for everyone who's using uh, Cycle today, uh, Derek uh, spent, I don't know, it was two or three hours on, uh, I remember it was like late at night, it was two or three hours yeah. just walking through some of these really weird, like we had like some IP conflict or something where we were, we had like like a loop in traffic where it was just constantly getting worse. Like I remember like we had sent like two and a half terabytes of data, uh, you know, through yeah. like a private network and just things started getting saturated. Like, oh man. It was yeah, it, 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 it was fun because of like unique issues. And like, it, and again, at the time we were just kind of screwing around because we were doing a lot of testing. I think I was working at Cisco at the time. Um, my buddy David, who was doing the YouTube videos, was working at HP. And we're both kind of like, you know, VXLAN was, was relatively new. So we figured, hey, you know, we're just, we're, we're screwing around. We're trying to see what works. Uh, and then you came with some like unique problems because again, it's, it's not something that we'd seen before, but typical kind of almost like spanning tree loop kind of issue that you would see norm in a normal layer two network. is kind of like the storm cloud that you were experiencing then. So it's like, it was fun. It was fun to like, like work through them and, and, and kind of figure that out. So, uh, little, you know, little did I know that it would, it would, it would grow into, to the company you have now and, 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 you know, help, help a little bit with your, with your success. So I feel, I feel good. I feel like I did something good. Well, I mean, it's nice. It feels kind of like a reunion, right? Where yeah, you know, seven yeah. years have now passed since those yeah. initial conversations. And I mean, I, we, we've, we've seen, you know, each other's stuff on, on, you know, LinkedIn and things like that yeah. over the time, but it's nice to be able to have this, like I said, it's kind of a reunion of, of going from, you know, Hey, I really need help solving this problem. Cause I don't understand it to, yeah you know, what cycle is today where we have hundreds of servers connected to the platform and people are building yeah. like some really cool things on the, on, on the platform. It's, it's always neat. Like it's, it's, it's neat because 
you know, obviously, you know, time's always a bit of a blur. There's always so yeah. much happening, but it's nice to be yeah. able to take a step back and be like, wow, how much has actually happened over all that time? So you mentioned that you were working at Cisco at the time. Um, yeah. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, well, I guess rather than, rather than being wrong. So after Cisco, yeah. uh, you work at Cloudflare now, but where were you working yeah. in between? I was working, I did a few stints at eBay, and when I say few, I did, I did three. For some reason, I just kept on going back. Um, but uh, but in, in between that, I worked at, at Atlassian. So um, just kind of focused on this cloud security model. Again, it was it was interesting because, um, you know, most, most of cloud security was just focused on, um, you know, the big you know, cloud vendors. But, you know, coming from now, OpenStack world, anybody could effectively run their own private cloud. So you were always trying to do this service parity comparison between what was being built within the major cloud providers as well as what you could build on-prem and uh, and you know it was almost like you know always playing this game of catch-up so you know where ebay still runs a you know very large OpenStack you know environment they've been trying to containerize and trying to make you know you know, you know services smaller but uh, obviously the, you know having to refactor you know thousands and thousands of applications is a, is a big challenge for them so you know Understanding that there's players in the space that could actually probably help them is, you know, probably would 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 uh, would be the direction they hopefully one day they might go in. But um, but yeah, no. So uh, focused on cloud security, and then uh, eventually led my way to Cloudflare. At the time, it was like a, a small security team, uh, especially on the infrastructure side. Um, but uh, Cloudflare is different because they are kind of like a services provider, um, and and being in that provider space, usually you have your own hardware. So they didn't uh, have a dedicated like hardware team or hardware security team. And so uh, where I found the need, uh, I kind of, you know, pivoted there. Um, so like server grade hardware, I hadn't dealt with in a long time. Most of it was like OEM off the shelf type of stuff. Uh, but then uh, realized, oh, wow, you know, these are some of the capabilities that we have. Let's, you know, take more advantages of what we currently have within some of these existing SKUs and then plan for how we can build our hardware better. Um, you know, a lot of times when you're, uh, you know, you know, trying to pull things like entropy from compute you're pulling it from like known sources but you know literally you can pull it from some of these you know you know microcontrollers or security processors that you have on a system so that's where we're trying to take more advantage as far as like the hardware that we build making it more secure but at the same time also leveraging stuff within hardware then uh, and dedicating more compute to you know our services and as, as we as we talk about hardware security um you know obviously you know, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind and i know this is maybe maybe you know, uh, I don't want to say abstracting, but maybe uh, watering down uh, some of the projects that you're working on. But I think a lot of things that most people immediately are familiar with is like the T1, T2 chip, or what I believe that's what they were called, inside yeah. Mac computers these days, where you were actually moving a lot of that hardware, uh, or sorry, a lot of that security components outside of just software into uh, hardware. And yeah. so with, with the efforts that you've been working on recently, um, I know there's a number of things you can't share, uh, yeah, but what, yeah. what, uh, can you, uh, you know, shed some light on some of the, the problems that you're solving? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the big things is like image provenance or like provenance when it comes to, um, you know, firmware components, uh, it, it's pretty easy within like a build system to be able to say, Hey, listen, I want to sign this artifact or this, you know, piece of software or this package. And then from there, be able to have this trust chain as far as, you know, what was implemented in order to be able to validate that signature, um, validate the certificates associated with that build system. It's really, really easy. Firmware is a different beast. Um, you know, so, uh, this, this whole concept of root of trust and where it's kind of anchored to is kind of like a really big thing. So we got really good at secure boot, but, uh, we started saying, well, there's other components that load that 
effectively just boot up prior to your OS ever booting. So how can we secure those? And it's been kind of inconsistent all over the place. So primarily is consistency and, and being able to develop that, that signing framework and then, you know, working with vendors to kind of like make this more, a little bit more standardized because it seems like every vendor t wants to have their own. And when you look at a motherboard, you know, every single module can effectively be its own security subsystem and they don't talk to each other. And that's a problem because now you're managing different processes and procedures for every single module they might load. And we think about things like data processing units, like DPUs, they're their own server. So you plug that in. Now you have another component that is effectively just, you know, running its own security that might not talk to anything else. So, I mean, we're really big on kind of like having identity models and being able to like, you know, pass tokens and whatnot. That doesn't exist in the firmware world. So how do you build trust in that? And that's that's kind of challenging. But, you know, we're looking at ways to be able to do that. Um, we're really big on blogging about it. So um, I would say, like, you know, just keep your eyes out and we'll probably have some really good blogs about that soon. And so, you know, if, if you know, the at least from my knowledge, if if so, actually, let me take a step back. So with the with the hardware security components that we're talking about um, are and you talk about signing certificates and things like that are you are. <laughs> are again maybe to generalize maybe too much yeah. uh are you using hardware to increase the security and integrity of the software running on it which i mean i'm guessing that's some part of it or are, is it more about uh is it more about uh you know verifying that other hardware components on that machine are acting the way that they should as well like it it's it's kind of both. I mean, okay. one is to be able to validate that that what you what you received is actually from the vendor and that it's in a specific state, and then you're able to like validate that. And then the other one is is forming kind of like this boot chain. You know, if there's a if there if there's a kink in the boot chain, it, the rest shouldn't be able to work. And at some point, you should be able to fail that. And that's kind of like the concept of secure boot. Um, you know, you pixie boot a server, um, you run through these you know chain loaded scripts, and each one of them gets signed. If there's a you know failure within some option ROM that you've been able to pull from some module then everything else should fail. It shouldn't continue to boot. And that's the idea. At some point, you know, you trust, you, you have trust built within your chain. If you don't trust something, then it stops and then nothing should proceed. Hopefully it stops before there's other components that are loaded. And I think that's that's some of the logic that we build into kind of like that process. But yeah, it's it's a bit of both. It's it's who do you, how do you trust the manufacturer? How do you trust the state that it came in? And then from there, how do you trust any ads, moves, and modifications you've made into that chain? Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And so, with the with 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 the the projects that you're working on, um, I'm guessing that a lot of the requirements for what you're building. I mean, obviously, it's beneficial to the industry as a whole. Yeah. But um, have you seen any very specifically like highly sophisticated attacks um, that have started making you consider? you know, oh, like we didn't think about needing to secure this specific component or take this specific process. Um, like, I, I know that's kind of a weird question, but I yeah. guess the question is like, like, uh, you know, I, I know there's a spectrum, right? There's a whole bunch of people out there like script kitties or whatever, you know, the, yeah. the proper term is today, where it's just like, hey, we're just, you know, proxying or we're just, we're just, you know, spinning up bots to see if we can connect to an open SSH connection and yeah. brute force our way in. And on the yeah. other side, there's super sophisticated attacks happening. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just curious what you're seeing in the industry. Oh, man. So, like, yeah. Uh, so it was back in 2017 that we started seeing a, a huge uptick in firmware and hardware type vulnerabilities uh, because that was kind of like when, you know, you saw a lot more IoT devices that were that were that made available. And you know, outside of anybody that can just you know, take a Raspberry Pi and you know, you know, you know, you know, build, you know, put a Wi-Fi module on it, or just build something that's automatically connected to the internet. I mean, you look at some of these like um, baby monitors or your fridges or anything like that. 
a lot of these are just running some kind of ARM component. And what they realize is that it really doesn't matter if you're running a server-grade ARM component or just a small little, you know, Cortex A3. Um, they all kind of are, are very similar. And so, um, you know, it changed the landscape because people could buy these little kits relatively cheap and look for vulnerable firmware. And they were looking for some kind of, you know, you know, remote code execution that was capable of it. So all of a sudden these devices are turning on the internet and they said, if they can attack this small little processor, can I find the same equivalent within, you know, a, a server grade, you know, ARM processor? So, you know, we were seeing that and, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, uh, you know the community has been really great at, you know, putting you know, different types of extensions and security extensions on these, on these processors, but it, it made us realize that, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, the fact that we have a data center and the fact that we have, you know, servers in there under lock cage, uh, you know, we couldn't protect them necessarily the same way. Uh, we had to think differently. And so that's why uh, it, it takes script kitty to the next level because it didn't require a ton of sophistication to be able to determine that you could actually uh, break a piece of firmware, download it from an unprotected, uh, you know, storage mechanism. And then from there, maybe make some modifications, put some implants, and now you have persistence. And so that's kind of like been the, the, the huge concern is that, you know, if, if there's some level of persistence that we haven't been able to see, because of some, you know, vulnerable piece of firmware on our on our systems, then we're put in a bad spot. And so uh, it 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 brought, you know, kind of like, you know, this give us, you know, brought a lot more attention to kind of like this problem and ensuring that we're solving it, you know, at scale and to in the kind of like more like at the server level. Got it. And so, which I mean, I guess that kind of leads to, you know, the next question of what are your your thoughts on, um, you know, for 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 a long time we had generalized compute. Right. It was, it was, Hey, you know, here's a processor, yeah. do whatever you want with it. And we keep moving yeah. more and more towards uh, very, uh, sorry, what's, what's the right word? Uh, I don't want to say specialized compute, but maybe that's the best yeah. term of, of, you know, building processors for specific tasks. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with, with what you're doing in the hardware world, uh, you know, interested to hear your, your perspective on that as well. I think it, I think it's I think it's great because now we can do things like set like specific type of affinity for specific cores, specific processes, and whatnot. I think the the, the challenge then becomes is that um, I feel like the world is more moving into kind of like the ARM realm, and so based off of the reduced instruction set, there's a lot more that you have to develop, and there's a lot more that you can actually miss. Um, so I, I think in some ways it might make it we have the ability to be able to make it more secure, but I, I think it's still to be determined because um, again, we're still getting to this like, you know, server grade ARM environment that can actually handle like the, you know, the, the, you know, the request per second we expect to see, the amount of traffic we expect to see. Um, and at the same time too, is like, if we choose a set affinity to these types of processes, do we, do we truly keep them isolated? Um, you know, there's a whole new, new slew of security extensions that are kind of hardware dependent uh, in the ARM uh, V8 world. So it'll be interesting to see because um, they're, they're just now coming out and things like branch target identification, memory tagging, allowing you to be able to specify the actual memory stack that's associated with a specific application process that's running, and then ensuring that the, that the, that the target identifier is unique, things like pointer authentication too. But you know, again, really cool features to implement, but at what overhead? So are we really, are we gaining anything by implementing these things? Or are we just adding more overhead and, and expending more compute for something that, that really not might make sense? So um, a lot of stuff to test and, and see if it actually works, but um, but yeah. So yeah, I, it, the, 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 it, it's, it's still to be determined. And with the, uh, so along that same line, are you, do you happen to be a, a, a Mac user? Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, I, I, I think, I think, it, I think, I think it's, I think it's, uh, 
you know, I tried, I tried using a pixel book and then like, uh, I was like, man, this is, this is great, but you know, everything, <laughs> effectively everything's a container. And so now I'm just running really fat containers. I'm like, I'm not sure this is actually the right way I want to go. And so the, it's funny from a developer standpoint, it, the world is still run by Mac and, um, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, 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 am I'm, I'm still an Arch user. I still use Debian on like, like my lab and stuff like that. Arch obviously has all the, all the kind of like pre-release builds you want to see for, for like, uh, any, any new daemon that's coming out and stuff like that. So, uh, but it's a lot of work, man. Like Macs are just easy. So it's like, I'd rather just go down and, uh, and, and yeah, the new, the new M1 chip, man, uh, like that battery life is like great. So like, you can't beat that. that. That's exactly where I was going with it. Like uh, as we get into specialized yeah. computing, like it's, um, so I don't know if you, if, if you run it on, on your machine, but uh, I, I've been using iStats for a number of years where you can see, you know, uh, temperatures yeah. of different processes or sorry, different uh, components in your machine. And, and it's always been really, really neat having, you know, going from, you know, with an Intel machine where it's just, you know, you know it's just a cores are core, right? Being yeah. able to have energy efficient and performance cores and being able to like track the, the, the usage of those and, and the battery life, it, yeah, it's, insane like the uh, have, is, have you actually actually uh, played around with one of the have you played around with one of the the pros yet that one pros? uh no i ha i know i haven't it's like I'm, I'm still on this waiting list at work in order to be able to get a new one and so it's like I'm, I'm dealing with like an old computer personal computer is but like i'm dealing with an old computer i'm like i beat this thing up and uh and, and but the interesting thing about it it, it does it it's like people say it doesn't come at a cost you know uh you know sys versus risk architecture is 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 different but in the sense it's like uh, there's a really great analogy that I heard the other day. It's like, uh, imagine that you are cooking a meal and then, uh, you know, complex instruction set architecture is, it tells you exactly everything you need to know, not just to cook that meal, but how to use a kitchen. And I'm like, oh, okay, that, that's, that's a perfect analogy. Risk will tell you exactly how to heat up water, how to, you know, you know, use a pan and how to, uh, and, and then where your ingredients are, everything else has to be mapped. And, and I'm like, is it, is it really that bad? And working with, with some of our, um, you know, uh, you know, system architects, I'm like, oh my God, like the amount of rewrites that we have to do for us, a lot of code is ridiculous. And but the trade-off is, is, you know, lower thermal density, you know, power, lower power consumption. It's like, if you can save 30 to 40% in power alone, I'm like, that's, you know, how much money do we save worldwide? And so like, those are the benefits, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, it's a pain getting there because you have to write specifics on, on how to use specific instructions. So, yeah. It, it, it is, and uh, I mean, I, uh, I've I've noticed with you know the, the different kind of side projects and things that I'm working on. Um, I mean, well, it's I mean, it, it's interesting the the compile time differences. Uh, obviously, yeah. you know, that's only a part of it. But the compile time differences of you know native languages versus some things that have to be like. I mean, if you're obviously you know there's a lot of extra overhead if you're running um i don't know if you've run uh, like docker on an m1 yet but if you're compiling for intel on top of rosetta on an m1 the the compile time mm -hmm. skyrockets right i don't know if, you, if you've experienced yeah, yeah. that yet but it's it's oh I God, haven't. it's 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 terrible but um but uh, note now. <laughs> everything else has been you know phenomenal like yeah. I mean, building like native like arm Golang applications like everything i do is is, is Golang these days yeah um yeah. and it's just been like i mean compile times like if you're doing native compile outside of a container oh my god it's amazingly fast and so oh wow uh, yeah I, i'm super excited for the the as, as i'm super excited for the future as we continue like like i think that sorry i'm I'm super excited for the future and where we're going with specialized compute. But at the mm -hmm. same time, right now we're living in this weird kind of world where like for a long time, I feel like uh, even if you get better processors, like 
people just keep building shittier code, right? Absolutely. To the point and, where it's like, you know, the browser's like, oh, I used to be efficient, but now I'm using 10 times more RAM, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think that's, I think that, that that was the point. It's like, um, you know, we, we got way past Moore's law because we started doubling compute at, at such a at such a, a fast pace. And now it's like more about efficiency. So how can we be more efficiency with the cores that we have? And it's like, okay, we can take some good things that we learned from browsers, but if we're just stacking shit on shit, then we're not really gaining anything. And so it's like, yeah, it's, it, you know, because like, you know, effectively, you know, especially if like, if you're constantly, you know, uh, you know, using applications in and out and all the IOs associated with that, you have to rely on garbage collection in order to be able to do a lot of cleanup work and stuff like that. It's just, yeah, I mean, you're, you're not really gaining that. It's, it's more or less, do you rewrite stuff to be special purpose and be more efficient or, or, or do you have some kind of other routine that's actually, you know, being more effective at either your GC process or whatever. So yeah, no, I, I completely agree, man. And, 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 and but it's, it's, I mean, beyond all that, it's like, it's like we're at that weird time right now where we've had enough of an advancement in these M1s and stuff mm -hmm. that like shitty code hasn't caught up to it yet. Like, so it's no, like we have this, we have this, like, it's like suddenly everything is fast again, but you kind of have to expect that people are going to keep just writing bad code and to the point that you made of you just constantly stack stuff up that even with this new, new gains and performance and things like that, we're going to end up in the same situation again. Well, absolutely. Uh, and that, that also introduces like a whole new uh, slew of vulnerabilities. I mean, like, uh, if you look at some of the latest kernel updates, uh, some of the latest like kernel security updates, they were associated with compatibility mode because like, you know, we just forgot that we were still using 32 bit architectures. So we had to have this like backwards compatibility that effectively, you know, opened up, you know, a whole slew of vulnerabilities that were found over the last six months. So like now we're out, you know, running, you know, a lot of patches and, you know, because we had to, because these features were set because we weren't ready to make the jump into, you know, 64 bit architectures completely. So yeah, it's like they, we made the jump, but we forgot, oh, we, we, we wrote that and, and we added this compatibility mode and we just kind of left it and just never changed it. So it's like, yeah, you know, you have to do a lot of cleanup work to, to 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 make more sense of it, and so it's a yeah, it's horrible. I feel like at some point we're gonna have to have like this great reset. Like I I, I thought ARM could be that, and I, I'm not giving up hope. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, at some point we're gonna have to have this like great reset where it's like all right, we learned a lot of the last twenty whatever years of of doing these things. Yeah. What can we go back and and just instead of worrying about legacy and dependency stuff, like what can we just start new on and, and, and do right from the start? Although we're going to have other issues and things that come out of that anyway. So, Oh yeah. Um. I mean, it, oh yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, oh man, like I just want to build my new house and just call it a day and stuff like that. Oh, but no, like my house was built in the eighties and I still have to attend for like, you know, shifts and like stuff like that. So it's just like, you know, you know, everybody would like to have built that new house, but reality is that we live in older houses and we have to, have to maintain them. So yeah. Yeah, and, and so switching gears a, a little. So you know, obviously, you had mentioned earlier that you work at, at Cloudflare, um, and so I know that Cloudflare has been in the news a lot recently with mm -hmm. all of the the conflict happening over in Eastern Europe. Yeah. Um, and I, there's a, a number of articles that I've, I've read over the last I don't know what has it been almost two months at this point um, yeah. about you know uh, companies relying on Cloudflare for you know, mm -hmm. with with an increase in attacks, Cloudflare being yeah. there to to handle the DOS attacks and you know some of these other intrusion type attacks. Uh, for as someone in in oh, sorry, as someone in Cloudflare, um, what is what has that been like? Uh, it's been chaos. I mean, th those first couple of weeks is it, you know I think I think we all felt the same way as like the rest of the world. Like, what is going on? What is happening? And then seeing it from a network perspective, you know, our CEO made like a really really good post from a lot of collected data regarding like network traffic, you know, and so we could, 
we could see what areas were uh, were being impacted war-wise uh, from the network traffic that was occurring. And it's, it's different because normally you would probably see that, oh, okay, there was like a power outage, but it was a blip and whatnot, but there were like these brownouts and there were these dips and then there was these traffic shifts that you could see. So you could kind of tell, oh my goodness, you know, this is actually associated with that as opposed to something that would be like a normal DOS or like a normal power outage or normal brownout. Um, you know, these were indicative patterns of like, oh, something, something bigger is happening. And so from the inside and being able to see some of this, some of this actual live data and stuff like that, uh, it was, it, it's been, it's been pretty, pretty crazy. Um, even more so because like our network has been pretty resilient and like, you know, we're still be able to keep, you know, keep the lights on and, and, and see that, you know, we're still protecting people out there too. Um, our, our warp service, which is a VPN service that, that, that runs through our network, it does like intelligent routing and whatnot, but uses, you know, wire guard technology in the background, um, you know, became like a, 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 you know, huge, you know, downloaded app, you know, in, in Russia and, um, and because people wanted to be able to, to connect out and actually be able to see what was actually going on. And, um, and so, you know, it gave us like a different set of pride knowing that, Hey, we're protecting a lot of these sites and we're protecting a lot of these agencies out there, uh, to kind of keep the fight going. And so, um, yeah, it just, it, you know, uh, this first couple of weeks were, were I mean, I, I, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know, you know, look at my wife and cry or it's like, you know, this is, this is real, you know, this is, this is, this is real. And then that sadness kind of changed to like pride because knowing that, you know, all the work, you know, the collectivity that the, that the entire organization is doing in order to be able to protect, um, you know, information and protect, you know, freedom to that information and, and access to that information. Um, I think, you know, uh, made me feel really, really special. It made me feel like I was, I was contributing to, to something that was, that was, that was part of the greater good. Yeah. And, um, it's, it, it was, it's, it was interesting, um, you know, to, you know, so many of the points that you made, obviously I, I'm not, you know, I don't work at Cloudflare, but, yeah. uh, I've, I've owned stock in Cloudflare for a long time. Yeah. And, um, it, it's, you know, I, one of my investment philosophies is I only ever invest in companies that I, uh, use their products. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, so like I, I use their products on, you know, at least some sort of weekly basis, right? Like yeah. that's, yeah, everyone has their own investment philosophies, but, yeah. but, but that, that's, that, that's mine is I have to use the product for me to invest in it. And, yeah. uh, but, but after reading all those articles and I mean, again, I don't work there, but yeah. having money in a company that was helping maintain, you know, to the, the same things that you just mentioned, uh, like it was, it was, I mean, I'm sure the pride was not close to your pride, but there was a little bit of it. It's like, Hey, you know, I, I I'm glad to support this company. Right. Is yeah. really, I guess what I, it came down to. And so, um, you know, the, the, the types of attacks that were happening, um, you know, was, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, you know, a lot of them were, were generalized DOS attacks where it's, hey, let's try to saturate that infrastructure, et cetera. But, um, with, with everything that was happening, were you seeing a lot of much more sophisticated type attacks happening as well, where people like, I mean, where, where you could kind of maybe, I don't know if you knew for sure, but where it's like, okay, that is obviously a very specific targeted attack on that resource or was it more higher level generalized than that yeah it, it was kind of sort of related to that where we started seeing more sophisticated attacks um you know uh it, it actually occurred recently we, we we mitigated it was like a 15 million requests per second ddos attack which um was unique because a lot of the like layer 7 type attacks we see are usually http based and this one was https based um for you know then and, and for those that kind of know or maybe not know that 
HPD DDoS attacks are, are kind of rare, but they're also really a lot more expensive in terms of uh, the, the required computational resources because of the higher cost of establishing a, a TLS, uh, you know, encrypted connection. So uh, it, it costs the attacker more to launch the attack, but it also, um, you know, costs the victim, you know, more to mitigate it. So, you know, um, normally we said we, we see these large unencrypted type of attacks, but this one stands out because, again, it, it being HPS in nature. So, um, you know, our logic picked it up. Um, it, you know, it, it's, uh, it only lasted, um, I think, like 15 seconds or whatever. Um, but so we don't know if it was like the kind of reconnaissance attack or, um, you know, or if it was an active attack and saw that it stopped because we were actually stopping that. But yeah, um, yeah, it, it's, it's very, very expensive. But, you know, we assume that we'll probably end up seeing more of these in the future because, you know, if, if, if somebody can say, hey, listen, we're going to expend our resources, we're going to expend money just to bring you down. Um, you know, it's not just, you know, us as a provider that's going to see it. We're going to see it, you know, through a swath of providers are probably going to be looking at these. And uh, as we as we throw around the term, uh, you know, a DDoS attack, um, yeah. you know, for, for, for anyone watching or listening to the podcast that might not be familiar with that, um, you know, would you would you mind giving a, a quick high level, uh, you know, dive into uh, what, a DDoS, what a DDoS attack is? Yeah, yeah. So denial of service attack is, is an attack. Um, it's it's a it's it's a it's an attempt to disrupt what we consider as being like normal traffic to a server or or service or network. Uh, and this is done by overwhelming uh, the target um, with a flood of internet traffic. Um, so they uh, distributed denial of service attacks is not just coming from a single source but potentially many, many sources and not just the realm of like hundreds, but thousands or millions. Um, and usually they're, uh, these, these sources are compromised systems that are used as sources of attack um, or exploited machines. Um, you know, we've mentioned before IoT devices. IoT devices have been a great launch point for these types of attacks as well. So um, uh, the, the analogy that, that the company gives and that I like to give too is, is imagine um, you know you're on uh, you know a two-lane highway or three-lane highway, uh, and there are uh, you know all of a sudden many many cars that are just driving down that. So your legitimate traffic uh, that's trying to go through there, or or a bunch of cars that uh, that have no purpose, that really have no direction, that are just you know changing lanes or whatnot. So now your cars, uh, you know your car of normal traffic is trying to get in. It's going to be very difficult. So they have this this highway is effectively flooded with a bunch of cars that are driving in all different types of directions and your legitimate car traffic is trying to get in it's very very hard so and so one of the things that um one of the things that i've encountered i'm sure you've encountered it in this industry as well is people who might be new to infrastructure you know as they talk about the dos attacks things like that it's what software can i install to mitigate a dos attack right it's something that usually you have Again, junior system administrators, things like yeah. that, uh, people who yeah. this might be their first foray into a DDoS attack. Yeah. Um, and, and as we both know, you can't solve a DDoS attack with software, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's, all about, it's all about how much compu computational power and things like that can yeah. you use to, to filter and clean the traffic. So I know that Cloudflare, that this, was, this was the bread and butter of mm -hmm. one of the initial offerings that Cloudflare really grew on. Yeah. Uh, uh, would love to hear you know uh, your your take on that. Yeah, it's actually really it's actually really cool. Yeah, yeah. Working, I mean, I, I mean, I, I come from I come from a service provider background, so I've worked for a lot of big, really big telcos. And normally, you know, we would always say, hey, listen, we're just going to network wise, you know, offset the traffic or you know, you know, quarantine the traffic somewhere else. 
Uh, you know, we use some BGP and Anycast technologies to be able to do that, but it's almost like dedicated special purpose hardware. So Clothware was the first company that, I, that, that, you know, when I came here, I'm like, it's just an intelligent way of being able to do that. And it's using, you know, some secret sauce in the background. But the idea is, is that the secret sauce runs our entire edge. And so as you distribute it through, you know, hundreds of different locations that we're at, um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's my security philosophy. It's like, let's make security smaller. And the reason being is because if you make it more portable, it's easier to adopt and it's easier to transfer and it's easier to implement everywhere. And so that was the idea. The idea is it's, you know, it's, it's some simple, you know, logic in the background that's actually working that that's very, very effective at detecting you know, when an attack is actually occurring. So, you know, it'll, you know, detect, you know, suspicious amounts of traffic originating, it'll sample, you know, it detects for these types of floods or unexplained surgeon requests to a specific endpoint or a series of endpoints. And it's all this logic that's actually built in that it made a really, really effective product. And it's just grown immensely over the years. It used to be something that I thought only, you know, focused on, you know, network layer attacks, but it's extremely effective at, at you know, at application layer attacks. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's crazy because, um, you know, I found out about this this attack that, that was stopped because, uh, you know, you know, we blogged about it. But at the end of the day, it's like it's not like, you know, all system, you know, all systems go. Let's, you know, all hands on deck. Let's 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 all let's all panic. No, it's just because the system works. And so I, I, I just I'm so floored by it. But it, again, I guess you got to be proud about a product that works when you really don't hear much about it until it's like in the news. So you're like, oh, yeah, we did that. OK, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and on that question, and I don't know how much you'll be able to share about this, as it might start to get into that that secret that secret yeah. sauce, mm -hmm. uh, you know, type uh, type uh, um, answer. But um, with within Cloudflare, is is you you know start to handle these attacks, um, mm -hmm. and as we just talked about, how it's you know the the hardware itself is what helps actually filter and let's say sanitize or whatever the proper term is uh that traffic so that way valid traffic still gets through right yeah. um but um so with that infrastructure that you have to do that um i guess my question that i'm getting to uh is how much of that is like always there versus auto scaling type into like like is it always it, like is it i guess the the, the infrastructure nerd in me is like how much yeah. bare metal is sitting around to handle this versus yeah. how much like cloud compute across number of providers is being brought in to help mitigate these types of things yeah it, 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 it's 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 interesting because like when you're used to like a cloud service provider mentality it's like oh no you know we have an auto scale group that will make the auto scale instances in order to be able to meet the demand and stuff like that um we we, we just run a very large infrastructure because we know uh, you know, we do we do a really good job of capacity planning to determine like, oh, how much capacity do we need and, and what do we do? And, um, you know, we you know, we, 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 uh, we blog about this, but we're really good at being able to distribute, uh, distribute traffic. And so distribute intelligently, even if it's network traffic, even if it's like, you know, attack traffic. We're really good at being able to say not one location is getting overwhelmed or overhead, but we just we just know how to distribute that load. Um, that's the beauty of like, you know, things like Anycast and, and some of the technology that we use is that. Um, it, it, it doesn't get focused on one specific, you know, area it's, it's geographically dispersed. And so, um, you know, it, it makes us not susceptible to have to say, oh, well, we need to, you know, you don't have like, you know, some, some tech guys there that are racking a bunch of servers in order to be able to, to meet this demand. It's just, it, 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 uh, it auto scales automatically to meet our demand because we, we are really good at, at, we're really good at handling packets. And so like, because of that, it makes us, it make, kind of makes us a little bit more resilient to, 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 to what what other vendors might 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 experience
but that infrastructure that you're using to filter and route that traffic and things like that is is all fully owned and maintained by Cloudflare as opposed to like, yeah, like yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. using any external cloud providers uh, to help. No, no, no. This is zone. yeah. The, no, this is just this is just us. This is just us. We you know we have excellent hardware infrastructure, application product teams that that you know know how to scale our services. But it's capacity planning. It's like how how do we meet demand? How do we meet demand? You know you have to forecast what your demand is going to be, what your growth is going to be. So they're re they're really excellent at being able to do that. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, and uh, the the other, I, I mean, I I guess the the other thing that I'd like to uh, hit on before we, we wrap up the podcast is, so a few years ago, uh, you had done or Cloudflare. I don't know if you were working at Cloudflare at the point, but you had done uh, for April Fools. Mm -hmm. uh, it, well, it was aligned with April Fools, but it was uh, the it was uh, when Cloudflare launched their own DNS service. Yeah. Uh, the one that one that one that one that one. And I remember everyone when that happened that day, like the internet went, you know, like kind of caught on fire. I mean, not not in, sorry, not in a bad way, but everyone was like, like, is this like a joke? Like, what's you know, is, were you were you at working at Cloudflare at that point? Uh, I, I I have been for for April Fool's uh, Day releases, and it's it's funny because people think it's a joke, and I'm like, no no no, they actually released stuff. So it's like they uh, they they introduced. Um, uh, like a couple of years ago, they introduced uh, 1.1.1.1 for families, which I'm like, um, is this an April Fool's joke? But no, it was just like, uh, you know, the fact that they have a DNS resolver specifically that will filter out, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, adult type content or things that might be considered like, uh, you know, uh, so like they have one that's for no malware, which is 1.1.1.2 and then 1.1.1.3, which is no malware or adult content. And I'm like, no, this has got to be a joke. Nope, it's 100% serious. I'm like, so, but it's funny that they do that during April Fool's because it's like, people are not going to take you seriously. So how do you market this? But no, it's it's actually, it's like the anti-April Fool's. I'm like, what a way to like, you know, most other most other companies might blog about something that's like non-realistic or anything like that. But no, we're actually releasing products and services on April Fool's. So yeah, it's, it, it's just, it, it's a gas, man. I just can't believe it. But yeah, that's what we do. And, and I love things like that. Um, for uh, as, as we wrap up the podcast today, uh, for anyone who wants to get in, in contact with Derek, uh, you can you can find him at uh, random uh, randomsecurity.dev, or uh, he, he's he's he spends a lot of time on, on Twitter. And uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, the red in the sky. Red in the sky. Um, excellent. Well, Derek, it's been great to have you on uh, the podcast today. Um, it's, 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 like I said, it's been a, a neat kind of reunion, of, yeah. you know, seven years later. Of, you know, we won't, we, we won't, we won't make it, an, we won't wait another seven years to do this again. So no, we won't. No, we won't. Definitely not. Um, and, uh, you know, th thanks everyone for, for listening. Uh, you can watch this podcast on YouTube or if you are, uh, if you have Spotify, you can listen to it on Spotify. Uh, we are on Google podcasts. We're on, um, Apple podcasts. And I think there's one more, but I forget. Uh, but anyway, uh, thanks again for, for joining. And uh, thanks again, Derek.